Okay, First Samuel chapter 12. We're going to start reading from verse 6. Then Samuel said to the people, It is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, when the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, but now delivered us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubal and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered them from the hand of, of your enemies all around, so that you lived in security. Okay, so what we have is this dedication before all of Israel that started in the end of chapter 11 and now into chapter 12. And now Samuel is reminding them of the righteous acts that God had done and the blessing that God had showed to the people of Israel. And he he picks up this story in their lives. He doesn't start back with Abraham because in just a couple of verses he's going to summarize their history to that date. And so he's doing what's called telescoping. Some people will say, oh, well, you know, he skipped some names. He's just a very brief history of what had transpired. And he starts with Moses and Aaron. And then he says, in verse 8, When Jacob went out to Egypt with your fathers, cried out to the Lord, when the Lord, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. So the people found themselves in a difficult position in Egypt, and it says, they cried out to the Lord, and God sent to deliver. And then he says in verse 9, But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the Philistines, and into the hand of, of Moab. So again, he's saying that he delivered them, but then they forgot the Lord, and then he sent to deliver for them. And he... he he sent to deliver when they cried out in verse 10. They cried out to the Lord and he sent to them in verse 11, Bedon, which is really Barak, and Jephthah and Samuel. He sent these different judges. So now he mentions different judges, including himself, because Samuel was active against the Philistines in coordinating that effort. So all of this history is compressed now into just a few verses. But what you see is this life of Israel that's like a yo-yo. It's just going up and down. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Deliver us. And then they get delivered. And then they fall back into things. And then they cry out to the Lord and the Lord delivers. But look at what happens. It says that when they go so far, it says that when they forgot the Lord in verse 9, He sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazar. As if He's giving them over to the world. And God is not done doing this in our lives. Our lives are very much like this. If you look at Israel today, it's like this. At one point they may be seeking the Lord, at one point they're not. And their land expands and contracts based on this. Same thing in our own lives. 
we seek the Lord and we go through these different phases. And I'll tell you, you know, as, as you walk with the Lord, there will be times where you feel that, hey, you know, I, I don't feel as close as I once felt. You know, from my own life, I can tell you, some of the things that can help is if you really are feeling a staleness, sometimes it can help just to have a time of fasting and prayer. Where you just, you know, just drink water for three days. And I'll tell you, you feel really pretty miserable physically for those three days. And you may not feel particularly spiritual for those three days either. You'll think that, wow, if, if my stomach were only full, I'd be able to pray a lot better. But you persist. And after that three-day period, you will see that this staleness has pretty much subsided. And there is this new deepening of faith and a resilience with the Lord that can return. And for some people, it may be longer than three days. But I'm telling you, if, you, if, if, it's, if it's very short, if it's just a meal, sometimes that's not long enough. So some people will say, you know, I'm fasting. Well, how long have you been fasting? Well, since lunchtime. Okay, so it's four o'clock now. So you've been fasting for the last three hours. You know, so it, unless it's a particularly difficult extended period, it doesn't have a depth of effect. And the first day, and then the second day, you're just struggling so much with the hunger that it's hard to really think and pray. But by the third day, you begin to get past that and you can spend some time just really reflecting on God. There are things that can be done to draw us closer because our lives are really no different. Where we can go and we can, we can go through a period of dryness and there is a way to deal with this. And I find it in my own life when I start becoming really critical and cynical. And I come home and just start, you know, everything I'm upset about. You know, all the things that I previously was excited about, now I'm upset about. You know, I'm upset about my work. I'm upset about the college students. I'm upset about the Sunday school class. And all the different things, you know, the things that are supposed to excite me. And I know that I need to spend some time with the Lord. And that will begin to get me refocused and I'll begin to have an appreciation. This is what, what Samuel is saying. You have so much to be thankful for. And we'll see that later on in this chapter. Now let's look in, in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 12. When you saw Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, come against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord... Your God was your king. Now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. If you will not listen to the voice of the Lord but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand. See the great things which the Lord will do before your eyes. So he mentions in verse 12, he says, you know, there's this king Nahash, who is king of the sons of Ammon. He, he had come against you, and you cried out for a king. Now that's something we hadn't known from earlier. We knew that in, in chapter 11, Nahash, the Ammonite, had come against the tribes on the east of the Jordan, and that's where, where, where King Saul rose up, did his first great act, 
and he conquered this king. But here we see in chapter 12 that this was one of the things that precipitated them asking for a king in the first place. So back in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, where they had asked for a king, we didn't learn that one of the reasons was that this guy Nahash was afflicting Israel and having an effect on them. And this was one of the reasons that they had asked. And he says, when you saw this, you had asked me for a king. He says, okay, so now here is your king. Here is Saul. Saul had just finished this battle against Nahash. Here is your king, he says. Then he says something really interesting in in verse 14. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve Him and listen to His voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. In other words, if you will follow God, if you will follow God and listen to His voice, obey His commandments, then even the king who reigns over you will follow God. You know, I think that we get the president that we deserve. And it can... You know, I haven't chosen any sides here, so you can smile about anything you like. I am just saying that the Scriptures clearly teach us that if we will follow God, we will get leaders that also follow Him. Because it's... And we see the converse of this as well. We see in, in, in Israel that when you have strong leadership that follows God, people have a tendency to follow God. What this is saying is the reverse is true, that if people follow God, they will get leaders that also follow God. This is what it tells us. So I think that we get what we deserve. This is what the Scriptures tell us. It says in verse 14, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and listen to His voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord. And then in verse 15, if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. So what he's saying is, you know, Samuel has told them, I think you made a mistake in choosing this king. God had always intended for them to have a king because he gave commandments in Deuteronomy of how to handle it. David was supposed to be king. But they wanted a king prematurely. And so now, when he had told them this, it never registered. You know how somebody can tell you something and it's just like, oh well, ha ha ha. And you just walk away and it just never connects. It had never connected with them yet. Previously, when he told them, you don't know what you're asking for and asking for a king. He's going to come and he's going to demand all these things from you. He's going to make it so that, that you're going to have to... Uh, pay taxes, he's going to put your sons into the army, he's going to put your daughters as, as his perfumers, he's going to, he's going to uh, uh, have his, his men who serve him are also going to be um, uh, lording it over you. This is what he wanted, but didn't even bother them. They said, no, we want this king. So then look what happens in verse, in verse, uh, in verse 16, he says, Even now, take your stand and see the great things which the Lord will do before your eyes. Verse 17, Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourself a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. 
Then all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die, for we have added to our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. So Samuel said to the people, Do not fear, you have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you will go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the, way, in the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. So now it's finally going to connect, because Samuel says, I'm going to show you how great this error was. He said in verse 17, it is the wheat harvest today, meaning that it is late May, early June, is, is, is exactly this time of year in Israel. This is the time of harvest time. It is the wheat harvest today. And in this time period in Israel, there is no rain. But in it, if it had been in, in uh, uh, March and early April, there would have been plenty of rain. But at this time, there's no rain. So they have these seasons of rain. So now, in the harvest time, there's generally no rain. But he says, you watch. What's going to happen is, uh, he, says, he, he asked the Lord to send thunder and rain that day. That the, So much so occurred that there was so much thunder and rain that day. You know, imagine to get a whole bunch of people scared. You know, it couldn't have been a little drizzle. There was thunder and rain so intense that it says in verse 19, then all the people, it says in verse 18, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to the Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Finally, it registered. Finally, they came to a point where they said, we really blew it. I mean, this man warned us, and we just said, whatever. But now, we really realize what went on. And then Samuel says to them, do not fear, you have committed, committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord your God with all your heart. You must not turn aside. This is a common tendency. We experience that we have done something wrong. And we feel like, well, I, I think I'll just give up then. You know, why even bother following? I have blown it so bad. Why even bother turning back? This is the tendency we have. And this is what Samuel's saying is, yeah, this was a big mistake. But you can't stop seeking the Lord. I'll give you an example that, that resonates with me as I think about this and think about people's lives. Sometimes, what will happen is, 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 a, is a young lady will meet a young man, and this young lady is a believer, and the young man is not a believer. And she goes against all good counsel, and she says, you know, this guy is what I want. I mean, he's handsome, he's good looking, and he's a good guy. He's not a Christian. Well, he's sort of a Christian. Well, you're not sort of a Christian. I mean, any more than you're, you're, you're sort of alive or sort of dead. You're either a Christian or you're not. And, you know, when I ask them and they say, well, 
he's sort of a Christian. I know that he's not a Christian. Because if he was, he wouldn't have been sort of. And they go against good counsel and they marry this person and they realize, uh-oh, this is a real disaster now. And usually a couple years into the marriage, this becomes evident to them. And my instruction to them is, don't abandon the Lord now. Don't abandon the Lord. Don't think that you have gone so far that the Lord cannot work in spite of this. He can work. He can work in this man's life. He can work in your family's life. Remember that we will all go through experiences where we feel that we have have done so wrong. We have blown it so bad. I'll I'll give you one that, that, that has hit me many times is, you know, I have this image of Joe Christian at work. And then I lose my temper and I blow up. And I feel like, oh, my whole witness is gone. Why not just leave and, and go somewhere else and start fresh? You know, because I've just blown my witness. But no, I mean, you recover. You get over this. I mean, there are many times, many times, I've called people back and said, look, I lost my temper. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And they're like... You know, they're surprised that I would say that because to people, for people to lose their temper is nothing unusual. When we have blown it, sometimes we can have even greater recovery. You know, w- one day I was sharing with this guy, I was a graduate student, I was sharing with this guy in the lab. And uh, um, he used to do things intentionally to bother me. And... So I would always come in early to work, to, to the lab to work. And this guy wouldn't roll in until like 11 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'd get in real early and start working in the lab. And whenever I'd get in, all the solvent cans were empty from the people working all the night before. So I, w- I would take the solvent cans and, you know, bring them to the, the stock room, wait there while the stock room attendant filled them up, and then bring them back. And, so he'd come in every day, and there was always plenty of solvent there for him. So he never, you know, thought about this stuff. So one day I thought, I'm just not going to do this for him anymore. So I got one solvent can for me, filled up. And I had my solvent can. And I saw him walking, and I knew what, you know, he was going to, you know, after 10 or 15 minutes, you know, the first thing you do as organic chemist is you go to get your solvents. You need your solvents for your reactions. And so he goes to get his solvents, and I hear, you know, the cans being picked up and put down, and he's trying to f- find one that's full. He goes, hey, hey. <laughs> I didn't say anything. He says, hey, what's the matter? You didn't do your job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he, he, he'd do things just to bother me, and then he'd, he'd come walking over, he'd say, you're not a good Christian. Good Christians should get these cans filled. <laughs> and you know... He was probably right. He really was probably right. So anyway, one day he did something or another. These guys were, were um, they, they had planned this practical joke. I mean, you can take nitrogen triiodide and you can kind of sprinkle it around. And then, you know, when, if a person walks on it, it goes pow, you know, and there's this big flash from underneath your feet. They, they don't allow this in the lab anymore because it's too dangerous. But back in those days, <laughs> it was... It, there were no such rules against these things. Or you, they'd put it in the, in the keyholes for the locks, and you'd go to stick your key in, and all this fire would come shooting out at your head. So they had, they had this little explosion, and it, you know, it made me jump and, and things like that. And I got really upset with them, and I started, you know, just gave them a piece of my mind. And I felt really bad about this. 
And so I went and I called them together and I asked them to forgive me for losing my temper. And one guy said, you know, you're really a lot like us. I said, you're absolutely right. I am just like you. But in spite of this, God has saved me. And I realized that in my failure to have this image that I wanted to have, they saw that I was really a real person too. And it actually built us up stronger. So it wasn't as if, oh, I just need to leave this group now because I've blown my image. It actually was good that my image was blown, that they saw that I am a human being and I get upset too and I, you know, you know, grit my teeth and spit every morning on my way to the stock room getting their solvent cans filled for them. But it was good for me. This is what Samuel is saying. He is saying, don't give up. Even though you may have blown something, don't give up. He says, because if you do, he says, you cannot turn aside in verse 21. Don't turn aside. For then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver you because they are futile. He says, if you give up, what's going to happen is you're going to slip back into the world and go after futile things which can't help you. You can't turn aside. He says in verse 22, For the Lord will not abandon His people. He won't abandon you. The Lord will not abandon His people. uh, uh, Because of, or on account of, His great name. Because the Lord has been pleased to make you His people. And then he says in verse 23, He says, My obligation is to continue to pray for you. Every one of us will have a place of leadership where we're working with other people. And they will do things that will discourage us. And they will do things where they don't deliver and they don't come through. And, you know, we're teaching a Bible study to somebody and they repeatedly don't show up for the Bible study for which we've prepared for. Lots of things will happen. And look at what Samuel says. He says, moreover, in verse 23, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Our responsibility of believers is that we would instruct other believers and not to lose heart. And I'll tell you, if you want, if you want to serve God, whether it's working with children, working with college students, working with adults, if you want to serve God, people will disappoint you. And you have to remember, your service is not to the individual. Your service is to God. So that when I am serving another individual, that is because I am serving Him who gave Himself for me. And that's why if that person who I am pouring myself out for lets me down and doesn't show up for the the Bible study or doesn't come through or, you know, just totally rejects what I'm saying, ultimately, my service is to Him, is to Jesus who gave Himself for me because He will never let me down. I have often let Him down. But He will never let me down. And if, if we get in this mindset that I've got to serve the people, I've got to serve the people, I've got to serve the people, we will be greatly discouraged. But if our mindset shifts that I serve Jesus and I serve Him, and it's because of Him that I serve people, it is because of Him that I pray for them, it is because of Him that I go through this, that I prepare for these Bible studies, that I spend time praying, that I spend time doing these things. You will do things for people and they will show absolutely no appreciation. 
And I will give you a stellar example of this. Become a parent. Alright? And there are many instances where you will pour out yourself for a child. Pour out, you will take food from your own mouth. You will, take, you will sacrifice things again and again that would bring satisfaction and pleasure, pleasure for yourself for your children's sake. You will do this. You will not buy things for yourself for years. You will defer you know, little things getting for yourself for years because every time you think of getting that, your, your mind is, I want to do something for this child of mine. You will do that when you are a parent. And you'll do this for the child and the child will be like, oh, all right. And it's like, um, do you appreciate this? Why are you asking me that? <laughs> and, and you'll get this sort of attitude. Not all children are like this, but most are. And so you will see, and so, you know, my daughter is about to have her first child. And, you know, in my heart, there's a little bit of satisfaction here. Because I know, <laughs> I know what she's about to go through. I know that she's going to be up many nights with this child, holding this child and, and uh, taking care of this child and doing all these things for this child. And this will be tremendous for her. I know this. This will be very, very good for her. But as a parent, God has put something deep within us that we do this. But then there's others, others in the body of Christ that are outside your family that you will do things for. I remember there were people that we, we, would, uh, we would try to share with. They were totally uninterested. I had a, a ministry to international students when I was in college, part of an international student ministry. And there were several people in particular that wanted nothing to do with our message, nothing to do with our kindness. We would go to see them. They wouldn't even invite us in, nothing. But when they needed help moving, they needed somebody with a car that could come, that could help them move all their stuff from one apartment to another, and then from that apartment to another and to another. Then they called us. On those days, they called us. And, you know, I was like any other college student in the sense that I understood what was going on. But my service was to Him who gave Himself for me. That while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for His enemies. And it's in that that it keeps us going. And this is what Samuel is talking about. So when we blow it, we don't throw in the towel because then we would start chasing futile things. And there will be instances that we will blow it. And then as those who minister and give out, we cannot lose heart. Remember, let your focus be on Him on Jesus, who loves you and gave Himself for you, and then in that, you can pour out your life for another. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. Your Word is true and good and righteous and holy. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Father, I pray that You would give us hearts that would cry out to You. And even when we have so totally blown it, 
to know that You are a God of restoration. That if we would seek You and seek Your face, You would restore and You would rebuild. Father, I pray for these young people that they take hold of that in their hearts. And as they serve You in the body of Christ, Father, that they would realize their service is to You so that they would not grow weary in doing good, so that they would not grow weary in acts of kindness. Because You have said that we are to not grow weary in doing good. Father, I pray that You'd help us to do good, to do good toward others, but to realize that that's ultimately because of service to You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for demonstrating that, that You gave Your life for those that hated You. Thank You, Lord, for Your mercies. Do that in these young people's lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.